In addition to the COVID pandemic, America has been dealing with many other epidemics in recent decades that are arguably even more dangerous, albeit less contagious, than the COVID virus. Mental illness, addictions of all kinds, self-harm, and suicide are among the most prevalent. Now, sadly, suicide is now the second leading cause of death among American teenagers, and that's only surpassed by motor vehicle accidents. This is tragic. But today, we're going to be talking with one of our many friends at Focus on the Family about the topic of suicide and how to keep this epidemic from invading your home and affecting and infecting those you know best and love most. That's today on Licensed to Parent. Well, thanks so much for joining us today uh, for this special edition of Licensed to Parent, which is the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. If you're new to the program, Shepherd's Hill is a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. And joining me in the studio each week is our host on Licensed to Parent, the founder and executive director of Shepherd's Hill, Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosel, and our goal on this program is to take what we're learning each day here at the Proving Grounds of Shepherd's Hill and share it with you and with other parents of teens so that you can get better prepared to raise your kids in a way that honors God and is hopefully so effective that you won't need a residential facility down the road. And uh, Trace, at, at Shepherd's Hill, I know you deal a lot with, uh, with kids who come in with suicidal ideations, folks who come from all over America and around the world to get the help that their families are needing and so desperately seeking for them. But a lot of the parents just can't fathom this issue that's affecting their own kids or their homes. Uh, what would you offer parents with respect to the reality and proliferation of this epidemic? An epidemic that seems to have found a home in our American culture in recent times. Well, I think it might be a sobering exercise for people to sit down and really think about something here. Uh, most of us know someone close to us uh, or relatively close to us or at least heard of someone who has died of COVID. And that's, you know, with the subject of COVID being in the news on a daily basis for nearly two years now. In fact, my own son almost died of it uh, a week ago. I'm going to a funeral when I leave the broadcast here of a professor and a friend uh, died of COVID. But we all know someone who's had it. All know someone who's had it. And all of us have been affected by it uh, in one way or another. Uh, now stop and think about the number of people we know or know about who have committed suicide or attempted it or thought about it. Uh, you might be surprised. Uh, and just to be fair, it's really hard to compare uh, the two because everyone knows if you die in a head-on collision and you just so happen to have COVID, well, you're you, you, being listed as dying of COVID. And unlike COVID victims, your, your list of suicide victims are likely more than two years old, but you get the point. Suicide is an, an American epidemic, uh, but one can argue that suicide isn't contagious uh, like COVID is. Well, we can ask today's guest whether that's actually true or not. My experience tells me that suicide ideations, however, are, are more contagious than people think. And uh, I think that uh, might even be more true among teens uh, than most parents understand. So uh, we're going to meet this head on today. Yeah. And that's good. It's, it's long overdue for us. Well, mm -hmm. joining us to provide some insight and we hope answers is Joni DeBrito. She's part of the counseling team at Focus on the Family and draws from over 30 years of rather diverse experience as a parent educator, a family life educator, school social worker, administrator, and a licensed mental health professional to talk to Christians about how they can take an active role in suicide prevention. 
Now, her expertise and personal experience, which, by the way, includes counseling students and families after the Columbine tragedy, is something that we hope is going to encourage you not just to learn about this, but to take part in the solution. And uh, incidentally, Joni is joining us today from the Focus on the Family Studios in Colorado Springs. And Joni, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Thank you so much for having me. Well, first off, uh, for those who may not be familiar with the term, uh, can you uh, clarify what suicide ideations actually are and how they might be different from a mere fleeting thought about suicide? Sure. That means that young people, especially teens, are thinking about taking their own life. And it might be that they are having thoughts of wanting to end the pain, which is a very common thought. And they feel as if the only way to get out of that is by taking their own life. Um, They might also be thinking about um, how they are going to make it easier for other people by not being around. Often teens who are having suicidal ideations feel that they're a burden and that their family and friends and so forth would be better off without them. Mm. So they tend to be um, spending quite a bit of time thinking about how to get out of the pain of their lives and how uh, not being around anymore would be a better option for them and for their families and friends. Do you think most people have had fleeting thoughts about suicide at one time or another in their lives? Yes, I think that most people have thought about it. When we talk about ideations, we're talking in the plural there. They tend to be recurring thoughts, thoughts that come up quite often, thoughts that um, seem to dominate much of the thought process as opposed to, gosh, this is really awful, things really hurt, maybe it would just be better off if I were gone right now. I I wish the pain would stop. So yes, it's very common. I would say that the vast majority of people that you talk to, myself included, um, had a thought at least once in their life about dying by suicide. I think for me, it happened once when I was 14. I really don't even remember what was going on, and it was definitely a fleeting thought. And then I thought, well, that's that's not a solution. That's a really bad idea, and it was gone. I, th- I think most of us probably that have had fleeting thoughts did what you said, and we recognized pretty quickly, okay, that's not a good idea. But right. at, w- at what point do you cross the line when this is more than a fleeting thought, and and how does a parent recognize that? I think it has a lot to do with the amount of emotional pain that a person is in, or it could be physical pain as well. We know that sometimes people take their lives because they can't handle the amount of chronic pain that they're in. But for emotional pain, it's a hard thing to get your hand on um, and your fingers around, and it's hard to figure out how to cope with it if you have a, let's say, a headache. We have medications over the counter that you might be able to take for a headache. But when you have that heartache, not like a heart attack, but when your heart is hurting, when you are struggling in life, when there are so many things that are so difficult for you, it's hard to figure out how to cope with those. And so um, for those kids who feel very trapped, they typically feel like they're backed into a corner and there is no way out except suicide. So if parents hear their kids talking about or demonstrating that they're feeling a lot of emotional pain, then they want to really start having conversations to find out really how significant that pain is and how, uh, how they're feeling. And to for sure not be afraid to ask your children, have you thought about hurting yourself? 
Most parents say, oh my gosh, I would never ask that because if they haven't thought about it, I've put an idea in their head. That is actually not correct. Actually, if they have thought about it, they will feel relieved that you cared enough to ask. If they haven't, it opens up a great conversation. You know, your child may say, why would, you, why would you say that? Why would you think that? And then you can say, well, here are some things I've noticed. I've noticed that you've been more isolated. I've noticed these changes in your personality, etc." Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's some suicide prevention hotlines out there. Just focus off of that. We have a comprehensive suicide prevention resource called Alive to Thrive, which is at www.alivetothrive.com that I and a couple of other people created. And then we enlisted the help of uh, 16 other mental health professionals that are on staff at Focus on the Family, licensed mental health professionals to help us create that. And that is called Alive to Thrive. It's free online, available to all at www.alivetothrive.com. And it starts with prevention all the way back to the importance of mother and father infant bonding, and then talks about the different things that are going on in our culture, different mental health disorders, etc. And it was specifically designed for parents and other people who influence kids, people like yourselves, people uh, like teachers, coaches, um, others who are influencing children and youth and young adults. And so that is available. We also have the opportunity for people to call and talk with a licensed counselor on staff. Those are all counselors who are educated in mental health degrees and have professional mental health licenses and lots of experience. And that's available at one 855 Seven seven one four three five seven, and if someone calls that number, they're going to initially get a family uh, specialist who is not trained in mental health. So the person calling just needs to say, "I would like to talk with a counselor," and that family health specialist will get their name and number to the counselor, and the counselor will call back within forty-eight hours. They can do up to about two hours of that consultation on the phone. And um, when they do that two hours of consultation, if the counselor feels that the person needs more help, they have access to the Christian Counselors Network, which is basically a network of Christian counselors across the country. So if you're in Georgia, for instance, or Alabama or Washington or wherever you are, the counselor at Focus on the Family can find a referral for you to speak with someone in your area. And these are folks who've been vetted by Focus, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, they have. They're all people who are mental health professionals. They are licensed, and there is information uh, about each one of them in terms of their areas of special expertise as well. Trace, let me ask you this. As head of Shepherd's Hill Academy, you're seeing teens come into the program, every, I mean, literally every day, uh, you might get a new uh, a new student at Shepherd's Hill, but these are folks who tend to be on the farthest extreme of, <laughs> of, of the, whatever the spectrum may be. These are, these are the teens who are truly in crisis. How one prevalent, foot in jail, one foot in the grave. Exactly. Well, regarding yeah. the one foot in the grave, how prevalent is this, uh, the, the desire to commit suicide among the students who, who you see every day at Shepherd's Hill? Well, higher than we'd like to see it. I would say there are two or three out of, you know, we were licensed for 36 
you know, a, a month that would come in here with those type of thoughts. And uh, that, but that usually goes away pretty quickly. I mean, it's, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't stick around. And uh, so, you know, I, I've asked my kids, you know, how many of you kids, you know, think you really need to be at Shepherd's Hill Academy? <laughs> None of them think they need to, to be here when they first get here. I right. said, so, well, you know, see, they're living in a, in a bit of a matrix of, thanks to digital technology. They're, I've had kids tell me, you know, because uh, when they graduate, I'll say, you're going out there into the real world, and, you know, you're going to be able to transform it. And they'll say, Mr. Trace, th- this is the real world. I'm going back into a, to a virtual world, you know. Mm. And so they don't know who's telling the truth. They don't know what's true. We live in a society that's systemically mentally ill. And we've normalized mental illness uh, uh, unwittingly to the point where now... Uh, the abnormal is the normal, and they are living in a bit of a matrix. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I ask the question, you know, r- regularly, is it normal for an alcoholic to be drunk? And the answer is yes, it is normal for an alcoholic to be drunk. But is it normal to be alcoholic? Right. Well, metaphorically speaking, we're living in an alcoholic society where we've accepted a lot of abnormal things. What we do then is we pander to these kids who say, well, if, if I don't get my way, whether it's transitioning or whether it's getting off a video game or, or taking away my, my smartphone, then I'm going to kill myself. Right. And, and then parents capitulate and they feed right into this thing. They, they think they're helping. They're actually sabotaging the whole, whole ball of wax. But when, there's, when do parents know when it's time for an, an actual intervention, you know, something like a Shepherd's Hill Academy or, or whatnot? Well, I think for sure if you see a child or a teenager that has been going downhill over time, I talk about persistence, number one, have the problem behaviors persisted over a period of time, I would say maybe six months. There's a caveat there, which is you hopefully know your child well. That's my hope. And so if your child has a pre-existing condition or a disability or something that might make your concerns be greater, you have to take that into account. But for for the general uh, parent and the general kid, usually, you know, looking at behavior that has become problematic over about a six-month period and seems to be continuing and getting worse is something that we want to think about. Because obviously, part of being a teenager is making lots of changes and doing things differently and checking out different personality styles and so forth. That's okay, changing your appearance, changing your hair, that kind of thing. That's okay for a period of time, and it's normal. So we don't want to pathologize normal teenage behavior, but on the other hand, we don't want to miss it. So persistence over time, consistence is another thing to look for that you're seeing it across all environments. So you have a kid who's struggling at school, struggling at home, struggling at church, struggling with peers. Maybe he or she had a lot of friends and has no friends anymore or is hanging out with kids that you know are into drugs or those kinds of things. And the other thing is how much is the problem behavior or how much is what's going on in that child or teen's life interfering with their ability to function on a daily basis is how much is it interfering with their ability to eat, to sleep, to go to school, to have a job as a teenager, etc. Those are the times when I would be very concerned. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Joni DeBrito. She's part of the counseling team at Focus on the Family and today we're talking about 
Well, the risks that we see and what we can do about teen suicide. Uh, by the way, you can find an entire resource page dealing with suicide at focusonthefamily.com forward slash resources hyphen suicide. And we'll try to make sure that that link uh, is available in our show notes on our website as well, licensedtoparent.org. Back with more conversation with Joni DeBrito right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherds Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis, is celebrating 20 years of ministry. There have been many distractions in our work through the years as a result of a four-lane highway that divided our land. As a result, plans are underway to develop a whole new campus designed to improve our students' therapeutic experience away from the highway noise, along with up-to-date infrastructure and staff offices, all to help smooth out the day-to-day operations. The five-year, two-phase plan will begin with a new dining hall to be completed by the end of the year, followed by two new school buildings, also containing a new studio for licensed parent. Please consider partnering with us, building together a new and improved Shepherd's Hill Academy. Learn more and make your gift today. Shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. That's shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. And thanks for helping us provide healing to teens in crisis. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with teens in crisis and, by extension, with their families. Our guest on today's program is Joni DeBrito. She's part of the counseling team at Focus on the Family, and we're talking today about suicide and, more specifically, suicide prevention. And, uh, Joni... I I want to believe that there are things we can do to get a hold of this and to turn things around. So first of all, for the teen or the, or the child who is entertaining these thoughts of suicide, what can that teen do for himself or for herself to to get control of this and and to maybe offer some self-help and I guess as a follow-up, what can parents do to uh, effectively enable that? Well, there is a lot that teens can do, and the first thing that they can do is talk. Talk to someone, identify a trusted adult, whether that be a parent or a teacher, or someone to reach out to to say, I am struggling, I am having a really hard time here. As much as I don't like the suicide statistics, we do have a generation of parents now who are more aware that this is an issue and are more willing to talk than perhaps generations of parents past were willing to talk about this subject. 
and there are many people available. So talk, be honest about how you're feeling, be honest about your struggles. And then the other thing is that we go back to good old self-care, eating well, avoiding high sugar and high fat foods. Hey, you're a teenager. I get it. Part of teenage life is pizza and and <laughs> pop and you know stuff like that. But those kinds of things are not really good for our mental health. And so go ahead and eat them, but try to limit them. Staying hydrated is super important, making sure you're getting plenty of water and getting plenty of good recuperative uninterrupted sleep. We have an epidemic of suicide that is partly related to the epidemic of the fact that our kids are not sleeping. No devices in the bedroom. Put them away. Keep them out um, of your bedroom because you will not get recuperative sleep if you're hearing your phone go off all night and answering text messages and so forth. The other thing that a lot of people don't know is that daily rigorous exercise, which is like 20 to 30 minutes of rigorous aerobic type exercise, actually has been shown for, for instance, mild forms and beginning to be moderate forms of depression to be more effective than antidepressants. Mm. So going out and getting a run or climbing stairs or walking briskly or whatever, those things are very, very important. And being out in the sunshine is also very important. The vitamin K, the vitamin D are natural antidepressants. Also, having contact with supportive friends is helpful. And interestingly enough, when people who are struggling, depressed, feeling lonely, etc., are able to get out and help others who are struggling, maybe be part of a service project or something, that is really helpful as well. Big time. The last thing I would say, and I know teens don't want to hear this, it, you got to get off your devices. You mm. have got to be spending no more than two hours of non-academic screen time on your phones, your devices, et cetera. And that's still much that's more still time. Too much. <laughs> way too much. Way too yeah. much. Uh, but we have many kids who are spending eight to 10 hours of non-academic screen time mm. every day, which is not good. I, I want to go back to what parents can do because one thing I, that I, I really drive home with our kids here and our parents is the importance of gratitude. And in a, in a generation where kids are overstimulated with pretty much everything, uh, it's pretty hard to feel gratitude when you are uh, systemically uh, entitled, I mean, as a, as, a, as, a, as a people group. And, you know, uh, it's a scientific fact that if you uh, are genuinely grateful for something, that you're shooting enough serotonin in your system that Absolutely. it's like taking one Wellbutrin or one Prozac. And so that's a, that's a, that's a biggie. And that's one of the reasons why we strip our kids down to nothing where they live in these primitive third world conditions because they're grateful for anything. I'll, I'll bring them a, a Dairy Queen, a whole group of Dairy Queen, and, and they're like fawning all, it's like, whoa, they're so, at, at home they would have just expected it. Why didn't I get the supersize? You know? Right. Here, being without that stuff, they really come to appreciate it and it, it does uh, add to their, their mental health. The other thing I was going to ask you is how much of today's uh, propensity for raising emotionally fragile kids uh, have have led to higher suicide rates. I mean, you know, we need safe spaces. And I'll say, what are some things parents can do to put some grit in their kids to, uh, uh, to, to, to get a little more self-respect, if nothing else, make them a little more hearty? I mean, Romans 5, 3, and 4, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces mm-hmm. character, and character produces hope, right? And, yes. you know, the, the number one reason kids are giving for committing suicide is they say they have no hope. 
And if you back that scripture up, they have no hope because they have no character. They have no character because they have no perseverance. They have no perseverance because they first didn't struggle for anything. Everything's been handed to them on a silver platter. So can you speak to that? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned gratitude because gratitude is important. But in terms of giving them some grit, parents, you are the parents. God put you in charge of those children because they don't know how to go about life and you have more life experience. They have to have limits set on them. You are not there to be their best friend. You are there to be their guide. You are there to give tough love at times. You are there to discipline them, to make them have to pay consequences for poor behavior. Don't set out to be the best friend of your children and be the cool mom or the cool dad that never sets any limits. The next thing is let them fail. Please stop rescuing them from (laughs) failure. We all learn more from failure than we do from success. And this idea that, you know, everyone gets a trophy just because mom happened to get them to soccer practice in my mind is just for showing up priming the pump exactly for kids, you know, not being able to deal with loss. My grandson is in a soccer team. And originally um, at the beginning of the soccer uh, season, it's only like six or eight games his team was winning, and we kept saying, we really hope he loses. And he was actually the the kid who was making all of the points and said, you know, God, bring him a, a tougher team. Well, sure enough, they brought a tougher team. And I looked at my grandson, and I said, how are you doing? He goes, he goes, good. He goes, it's like you always said, Grandma, it's your Nana. He said, <laughs> you know, it's either you win or you learn. It's okay to lose. It's a good thing. It builds character. And let me also tell you, I was shocked when I would talk with college students and I would ask them about the rules in their house when they grew up or their chores or their job. (laughs) They had no rules. They never had a job as a teenager. They never had to do any uh, service work. They never had to do any volunteer work. Get them out helping other people. This is what it means to be a responsible adult. If you are just indulging them with way more time than they should have to have leisure time and no responsibilities, you are going to end up with a child who is going to feel very empty, very hopeless, and very ill-prepared to deal with the difficult things that life throws at us. Well, uh, on that note, I'm afraid we've got to put a bow on today's program because we are out of time. Uh, Joni DeBrito has been our guest today. Joni is part of the counseling team at Focus on the Family. If you or someone you love is having suicidal tendencies or suicidal thoughts, please give this number a call. It's uh, 855-771-4357. It's a, a Focus on the Family number. When they call, they will need to mention that they need to speak to someone about suicide. Uh, but you can get on the phone with a licensed counselor who can work with you, and that's a, a wonderful resource. Joni, we've yes. only scratched the surface, but thank you so much for your help on this and for giving us the insight that there is hope, and uh, hopefully we can all do our best to take a part in bringing that hope about. So thank you for being with us on Licensed to Parent. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, ma'am. And in addition to finding some of these links we've been discussing on our website, you can also listen to past conversations you may have missed. And you can learn more about Shepherd's Hill Academy, our year-long Christ-centered wilderness-based residential program for troubled teens. If you're at the end of your rope as a parent, 
If your teen is pushing back at every turn and frankly, you don't know what to do next, please know that we're here to help. Now, not every family needs a residential program to help a troubled teen, but how do you know? Call and talk with a member of our staff and learn more with absolutely no obligation. We're here to help, but you've got to take the first step. Just go to LicensedToParent.org and click the link to Shepherds Hill Academy to find out more. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fasina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. And our special thanks today to Laura Kennedy, handling engineering duties for us at the Focus Studios. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.